This show contains some explicit language, nothing you can't handle if you spend any time around the track, but if you're listening in the car with small children, maybe better off waiting for this one for the headphones. Today's show brought to you by our friends at Mill Ridge. Mill Ridge, where Oscar performance stands. Oscar performance, of course, won his maiden at Saratoga in a devastating performance, won by, I think, about 10 lengths before going on to win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile later that year, breaking from the 13th post and still drawing a way to get the job done. This is a horse in his later years would set the world record at a mile and his babies are running. The first winner and the winner is came back placed in the Bashford Manor. There's going to be hopefully a couple of them during Saratoga at the meet. And there are definitely going to be a couple up in the Saratoga select sale. He's off to a great start horse of terrific interest to me personally. And of course we thank our friends at Mill Ridge who sponsored a bunch of shows, including an exciting upcoming series we're going to talk to you about soon. So now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the In The Money Players podcast. We haven't actually ever done this one before it was an idea from a player who's not on the show we'll talk about him in a minute anyway and the idea was to do a saratoga meat preview honoring the old saratoga dinners that harvey pack my great friend and mentor used to host where you'd get some players together ahead of the meet they'd have dinner talk about ideas for the upcoming meet things they were looking forward to uh, theories whatever just sort of chopping it up and talking all about the upcoming Saratoga meet. We thought we'd make it into a podcast, and it's also very similar to our pro player roundtable shows in that sense, where we're not going to give you really too much, I don't think, in the way of specific horses on the show. It's more about concepts and just getting to hear from some sharp people who bet an awful lot of money. The guy who is at the center of this was there for the creation of the idea and is with us on, I think, every single one of our pro player roundtables so far from Lexington, Kentucky, pro player Sean Borman. Sean, how are things? Doing doing great, man. Just uh, crossed the wire for the last Happy Valley meeting of the Hong Kong season and looking forward to some Saratoga action now. It comes up well on the calendar for you with Hong Kong taking the the break and then uh, Saratoga taking center stage, a man for whom Saratoga has been very much at center stage, not just during the meet, but these days during the off season, you heard his thoughts all about it on our Saratoga lifestyle show. You watch him on the Fox News broadcast. He is Jonathan Kinchin. JK, what's up? Uh, I mean, I got to be honest with you, Pete, in this political climate, I'm going to need you to not affiliate me with Fox News. Oh, did I say Fox News, not Fox Sports? Did I really say that? You did. Oh, that's wow. hilarious. Fox Sportses, Jonathan Kinchin. Oh, oh my God. Uh, I'm not going to change it. I'm totally leaving that in. It's yeah, too funny. Well, of course, of um, course, of course. Fox, let me take it again, though. Three, two, one. Fox Sportses, Jonathan Kinchin. How my are man. things, JK? Things are good. Things are good. It's It feels like uh track now you know i've i've been up here and we talked about it on the lifestyle show i've been in saratoga but like now it's changed it's turned uh i'm starting to get the you know the the the, the race tracker wave uh did cart talk this morning golf carted around the backside it's it's feeling like saratoga is meant to feel 
who did you get for the first car talk? Unless that's a state secret. No, no, not a state secret at all. I did, uh, I did uh, college roommates, LSU grads, Al Stahl, and Tom Amos. Oh, fantastic. Nice. That's great. That'll be good. Yeah. Did you get into some college football talk? We did. We talked a little college football. We talked about who partied the, the hardest at, at LSU. One of <laughs> one of the gentlemen got got partied so hard, got mono. Um, it, we, we talked about my Zenyatta dat tattoo with with the blame situation. We we, we talked about the the infamous Serengeti imp- Empress bet. So we we, we had some fun. Oh, that's fantastic. funny enough. Did, did this is a did. good transition into what we're going to do. Tom Amos nine for twenty with. Two-year-olds this year so far, 45%. Interesting. You, you had an LSU thought, Sean? Well, I was just going to ask J.K. if they discussed how the University of Kentucky football team just kicked the shit out of LSU last year. Was that <laughs> part of the discussion? Or? <laughs> it wasn't, but I'll, 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 I'll tag you in a good chat. Mention with you that. Ask them how it felt to come to a real football school that season and get drilled. <laughs> Now, you to be fair, J.K. might be one of the only people on the backside not to ask them about that this year, knowing the way that you you Kentucky fans uh, feel in general uh, about your about your football team these days. But yeah, that's a good segue talking about because um, th- th- that's the kind of thing I feel like coming into the meet that's really worth paying attention to. Um, things that have been either short-term fluctuations of form, fluctuations of form we're expecting to see trainers who are doing well with a particular. Um, in a particular category, etc. What and we'll we'll just keep it right with you, J.K. I mean, is that something you expect to continue? Did you talk about? Was there a particular reason why that happened? A new, a new owner, somebody new buying for him at the sales. Is it? Is there some some signal to that stat? Do you suppose? I, I always struggle pronouncing his last name, but I, I think his client, you know, one of his clients, the one that owns Serengeti Empress, Joel. I think it's Politi, Politi. I always think it's Politi, but. Um, you know, I think, I think he's gotten a little bit more involved and, you know, you get more two-year-olds and, you know, but Tom, looking at the stats, he was, he's like 23% his career with two-year-olds anyway. He's very good. So yeah. it, it, it's not, it's not an outlier that he's had some success, uh, in, in those situations. So, you know, and then to answer your question as a whole, I, I don't typically, which, which is funny. I, I don't want to be like, you know, I'm not going to poo-poo this idea that we're having today of talking about these themes, but I try not to get too hooked into anything because I just, just, I just try to keep my head to be aware that things could be happening, but I try not to make any uh, predetermined ideas because it, it can lead you down a path of making a lot of mistakes. And I think one of the main themes that we could probably start with and just this idea is that what are we going to do with someone like Chad Brown who won 46 races at Belmont? So, you, you know, if you win 46 at Belmont, that means you've lost a lot of conditions. It means that you have horses that aren't eligible for allowance races anymore. You've got, you know, you don't have any maidens anymore. And, and, and now what, you know, what is Chad going to have that same type of year he always has here? Or is there going to be a little bit of a slowdown because of how many horses that he ran? He ran 149 horses at Belmont. That's a lot of horses. I, he he has the, the control of so many. I wouldn't expect him to take a huge uh, dip or hit personally. Obviously, you're going to look at it, as you suggested, JK, on a, on a horse-by-horse basis. And if he does start slow, I think you probably have a reason why as far as that goes. But 
I don't know. Personally, I'm I'm expecting huge things uh, as usual from that barn. What about you, Sean? Does that give you any pause at all? Enthusiastically backing some of his runners, the, the tremendous success he had at the Belmont meet. No, no, it doesn't give me pause at all. I mean, you know, I, I try to look at the the short term trainer and, and jockey stuff. I really only try to pay attention to it if it's somebody that's typically not very good is all of a sudden doing things good, you know, um, because people are a lot slower to react to stuff like that. And you still get prices, but like proven guys like Chad Brown and Todd and, you know, we all know these guys can train. We all know they can train basically on any surface, any type of horse, any age. So, you know, you, you can't let them beat you if they start slow. You can't really just come up with a reason to fade them for no reason because of what they did at Belmont. You just got to, you know, I just let all that stuff go. That's all just narrative bullshit to me. Um, <laughs> if, if Chad's, you know, got a good looking horse and he's a decent price that I think is value, I'm going to bet him. If he's a too short a price, I'm not going to bet him. I mean, that's, you know, that's, I've really lately, not just at Saratoga, but everywhere, just tried to really simplify the way I look at things and, you know, try to find like the one driving factor that, that happens over and over again is the fastest horses win races. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you can get them at good prices, you got to bet them. It doesn't really matter who trains them or who rides them or what posts they're from or if they're on or off Lasix or this or that or whatever, you know, you've got to factor stuff like that in, but you just got to bet fast horses. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. At least I know a lot of people, you know, probably disagree with that, but you know, a lot of this other stuff just to me, isn't the prevailing force behind what wins horse racing. Yeah. And I I think to kind of piggy, sorry, Pete, to to piggyback Sean's idea, I think that, when we say you want to be aware of these things, because there is a time where a stat or a trend or something of that nature can help you make the right decision when you're in that kind of that pickle of trying to decide something. But I do think that using these wholehearted, you know, and, and just being, you know, like completely tied down to an idea that it is it can be problematic you know i think that it can lead you down paths you can it'll keep you on a horse you should have got off of or it'll it'll put you on a horse you should have never been on um so you know it's just one of those things i'll be aware of you know um but i'm not i don't i don't get too i try not to get too too predetermined with those things I feel like there's a few ways I could take the conversation from here. One thing that I just want to piggyback on for me, when I talk about stats and things like that, and I've said this before, apologies, if you're a regular listener, you could cross this one off the bingo card, I think pretty much at this point, but the, those kind of stats and trends, they're really good for helping you identify either shorter price horses that you can have great confidence in and maybe press up a little more, or when you've determined it's more of a spread race and that fastest horse that Sean is looking for isn't, standing out or and or isn't uh, the right price and might be worth taking on for horses to include in those kind of bets. But let, I do want to talk a little bit more specifically about Chad Brown. And I think Sean's already answered this question in the in the negative. But 
Are there any spots in particular, JK, where you feel like, uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit of kryptonite for, for Superman and there are opportunities to go against a trainer and you could take this in any direction. It could be Chad. It could be Todd Fletcher. It could be Christophe Clement for all I care. But is there any trainer who just almost automatically catches money that you have an idea of where you're not going to want to just single and press and you're going to want to get, maybe you still include, but you're going to want to get a little bit more creative. Well, you know, and, and Sean and I have had this conversation, you know, privately as well Is like the thing about Chad is that a lot of times Chad will have undoubtedly the best horse, but the, it happens that those horses are, are typically tad, a tad over bet. And those horses are running in turf races where we all know, that trips mean more than they do in, in, in a dirt race. Um, and so I think what happens a lot of times and pace, you know, the paces are all often can be very drastic in, in, in turf races. And, and so I think a lot of times what you have to do when it comes to chat is you, you just have to accept the fact that you're going to be on the right horse at four to five and you're going to single that horse at four to five and the horse is going to get beat. And it's not because you were on the wrong horse. And it's not that you need to rethink your process or you need to start spreading in those races. It's that you just got a bad trip or you had a pace scenario that, that didn't work out. And, and I, that's one thing that, that I am going to do this year is if I should be singling Chad, I'm going to not be scared that I'm going to get beat. I'm just going to single Chad, if that makes sense. It does make sense to me. And if you look at his, we talk about Chad being over bet. And it's unbelievable when you look at some of his ROIs in very obvious categories, how good they still are in so many of them. Sean, what's your reaction to JK's multi-race approach to these some of these Chad Brown shorties? Are you, are you sort of with him or, or against him? Well, you know, it, just like every other thing, it just, it just depends on, you know, what else is involved in that sequence and, and how you want to structure your your play. I mean, for the most part, I, I completely agree. Like you're, you know, if you love a horse, you think four to five is a fair price. You know, if you, you think he should be one to five and he's in there four to five and he's, you know, a, in a key leg of a multi-race sequence that you like, then single the horse. And if you get beat, you get beat. I mean, that happens in this game. You, you get beat all the time. Um, but if you think the horse is more like four to five and he's, four to five on the board and there's another horse that you think should be four to one and he's eight to one that you, you might, maybe you're supposed to bet the eight to one and not the Chad um, or use it. You know, I, there's every, like what JK said earlier is there's just, there is no single hard and fast rule that always applies to this stuff. It's just always dependent on circumstances and, the price you're getting and what other prices you're getting in the sequence and what sequence you're playing and this and that and everything. So it's just, it's, it's really hard. Point. It's just really hard to say, yes, you should do this or no, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. You I just wanted gotta... to, to just to be cheeky. I wanted to come up with something to contradict you there, Sean. And then I immediately thought of, of a situation where your wisdom would still prevail. Cause I, I wanted to say the one thing you can never do is bet a horse who's a shorter price than it should be. But it's even more complicated than that, because what if, you know, it's some odds on favorite that you don't really like, but you're talking about a pick three sequence where you love two other horses at a price. Then aren't you still supposed to even I think you're still supposed to use that horse in that circumstance. So it's 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 very hard to come up with any always rules. 
yeah, uh, you know, in, in that example, if, 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 you know, you love a horse that you think should be two to one and he's even money, but you also love two 10 to one shots around it, you better have that horse in the middle if your 10 to one shots win and the pick three pays well. Like, you don't want to get beat by that horse. But that goes into what I was saying. Like, it all depends on what your other opinions are in the sequence or the bet that you're making and how you can extract value. So, can you can you think of a contradictory example, JK? Is there anything that you never, ever do or always, always do? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, no, I tell you one thing, though. Just I'm not really answering your question, but I'm kind of answering kind of, the one thing that I'm trying to do this year. And Sean and I talked about it extensively last year. And I, after the fourth race, I completely threw it out the window. Like <laughs> you, I have, I do not need to play every damn day. Like it's a Saturday and I, I have to find it. I understand that it's Saratoga and I understand that I want to play the early pick five and I want to play the late pick five. And I want to play a lot because I love being here and being involved and whatever. But there's just – I would challenge people to to be better at identifying where your real opportunities are and where your action plays are um, because I find myself freaking knee-deep in an early pick five I should never be involved in just because – you know what I mean? And it, it's – You get carried away. Yeah. It's so easy to get carried away at Saratoga. Now, I'm with you a thousand percent. This is another thing I've said before on the show is I – I wish the difference between my action and my real bets. I wish it was in real life. It's probably somewhere between five X and 10 X. I'll bet on something I really like. It, it should be much closer to a hundred X. I think if you're doing it right, right. you know, um, what about you, Sean? I assume you don't struggle with this as much as we do, you know, as people who, you know, move up there for the summer and for many years, based my whole horse play, playing year around Saratoga. How do you keep from getting carried away and how do you choose your spots? Well, first of all, I, before I answer that, I did think of one rule that I think you should never do. And okay. this is not a shot at you, JK. You should <laughs> never use all but one in a pick sequence. <laughs> <laughs> the rule of rule. Ah, the rule of You should rule. never do that. Just because, you know, if you're going seven out of eight or hell, even five out of six, you don't have an opinion. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes, and this segues into the, the next question a little bit, you know, we all have so much experience looking at these things and so much data to look at now. We feel like we're good enough to say, well, this horse can't win. But a lot of times that you're doing that in a race where you just have no damn opinion. If You know, if you're eight deep out of nine, you have no opinion. So just use all nine and wait it to where you're at least covered if chaos happens. You are approximately the 9,435th person who's told Jonathan this. And yet I'll bet you within the last week, there was at least two legs where he used all but one. Let's hear your defense of this horrendous practice. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of stubbornness and not, not stubbornness, to, not stubbornness to, 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 to not listen to the rule and the advice that I'm getting from people that I respect. It's, the, it's that – if I don't like a horse, like if I look at the piece of paper and I say, this trainer, this owner, this rider are the worst I've ever seen and this horse cannot win, like I can't use the horse. Um, 
Now, the all that one that the, the, the all that one that Sean is recently referencing hurts more because I made a mistake. I should have had the horse. The all but one that I didn't use, I should have had. I should have used. Who was it? Do you remember? Uh, it was uh, no. It was a couple of days. It was a couple weeks ago at Belmont. It was, it was a twelve, a 12 horse, horse Belmont sprint. Twelve horse in a in a turf sprint. It was in a, got hooked in a fast pace last time and had early fast pace figures, but the, the final figure was really slow compared to some of the other horses in there. And so I just felt like I didn't need the horse and it ended up costing me. But um, so, yeah, I mean, it's true. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to, you know, all that one is, is a very silly thing to do. I will also say the other rule that, that I would live by is if whatever pool you're playing in, if you walk away from the window or you close your browser on your ADW and you've only placed one wager, then that like one ticket you're wrong you need to be you know you need to be placing more than one wager and and, and value and, and weighing your opinion right like I, I mean unless you're betting to win of course and that that that's fine one yeah, you're not talking about win play show you're talking about multi yeah if you're betting exact you don't need to be course. exact to boxing you know and you don't even need to be like to be to be frank i don't think you need to be like key with one, two, three, four, and then one, two, three, four with key. Like, I think that you should even take that a step further. One, two, you know, key with one, two for $10, key with one, you know, with three, four for $5, and then flip it the other way. I, I just think that that's one thing that I always try to tell people, you know, when they ask me about, well, how do I, you know, be better or whatever? It's like, just bet better. And, and this is a perfect time because you could really reap the benefits at Saratoga for betting better. I think that's right. I mean, it helps a lot when you're betting on, you know, Naira bets as opposed to going up to the window. You're not going to be a very popular person running through uh, 86 combinations at the window at Saratoga. But, I mean, hey, it's uh, anybody can get the app, so it's pretty easy to, to, to put into practice. But I do think part of your idea, Jonathan, has to do with how, how betting has evolved um, as it's, we've moved away from window betting to computers and Saratoga being one of the, the, the few exceptions where you still see a lot of people doing the, the, the window betting. But, I, but I'll accept that. I'll accept that as, a, as, a, as an answer. Let's bring Sean back in, though, to talk a little bit more about um, the specifics of choosing spots and how he keeps from getting too involved in some of these cards. Well, you said that I don't struggle with that as much as you all do, and that's completely false. Um, and that goes back to, to, you know, what we were just sort of talking about. Like, I've got tons of information and tons of experience, and a lot of times I just think I know better than than I actually do, and you just sort of wade into these, you know, opportunities that aren't real opportunities that where you just end up losing money. Um, and that's happened so much more lately because the pools are so efficient where I'll get into a spot and just very quickly realize I don't need to be here. I didn't have that good of an opinion. And, you know, I've really in the last three weeks tried to do a deep dive into my, you know, wagering patterns in the last like five or six years of my wagering history to figure out exactly where my edge is because it always used to be in the vertical pools. I mean, I, that's how, you know, when I was sitting with Mike all those years, that's how we made a living, which is the inefficiencies and the tries and super pools. I probably bet 80% of my money in those two pools. 
And now when I look at it, I'm getting killed in those pools. Interesting. And the only, you know, the pools that I'm having success in are the wind pool, exacta pool, the double pool, the pick three and the pick six. And that's it. Everything else I have no business really playing anymore. And when I thought about it and really started looking into it, those are the pools that I typically bet when I have real opinions. You know, when a horse is value, I'll bet it to win. When I have a, you know, strong opinion in the exacta, it's never key horse with four other ones. It's a cold exacta and then I'll flip it. You know, I weight it. It's like a weighted box, but it's a two combination bet typically for me. Same in the double. I don't play doubles for very spready. They're kill bets. And same with pick threes. I don't like to spread in the pick three. I like to have two singles or, you know, a very strong single and just use like four or five combinations in a pick three. And then the pick six, you know, I've hit some good ones, but the only good ones that I hit are when I have strong opinions in at least two legs. And I'm singles right. or just, you know, mo- typically most of the singles, money going through. Like, no, like typically singles, um, and typically horses at good prices that, that you can single. Um, you know, the, the times when there's, you know, a two-day carryover and the, the sequence looks approachable, but I don't really love anything. And I'm just like, well, yeah, I can get in here. and There's extra money in the pool. I invariably just get killed. So this, you know, that's this is so interesting. You know, this isn't rocket science. Like everybody's going to listen and be like, okay, so you should only bet when you have a strong opinion. But that's sort of what we're getting at is like, you know, you, it meets like Saratoga and Keeneland and Del Mar when everybody's excited about it or, you know, hell, even Derby and Breeders' Cup weekends. There's a there's a pull to bet things that a lot of times you just don't need to bet. And in today's wagering environment, when, you know, you've got 50% of the money coming in some of these pools in the last flash where you can't even really price what combination you're betting anyway, you just need to pass. And save your ammo for the times when you do have strong opinions. Or so, bet, so much to unpack here, but keep going. Well, I was just gonna say, or you know, make sure you're betting ten percent on those action bets versus a hundred percent when you think you can really, really kill something. Like that's the other thing that you know I need to work on more now is the spread between my action plays. And my kill bets needs to be much bigger than it used to be. Yeah, I um, still think 10, 10, 10 to one isn't isn't probably enough. Well, in some instances, it's not. I mean, yeah. you know, sometimes you just gotta. It, it it it's it's very very hard nowadays to to make a lot of money on one bet because the pools are so efficient, and so in order to do that. You need to be pretty concentrated. You can't be spreading out a ton. And you need to be correct. And you need to you know, have a pretty good idea of what price you're going to get. And all of those things are infinitely more hard than they used to be 10 years ago to figure out. I have so many thoughts here. Let me jump in. So, and then JK, we'll bring you, we'll bring you back in, uh, in, in short order here as well. One observation. I remember years ago when 
we had Tommy Mathis on one of the shows and he was talking about his betting philosophy, which was just basically, I think, very similar to what you've now evolved to about kill bets, essentially, just, you know, keeping things very tight and narrow. And I remember you saying, you know, he's probably right. And it sounds like you've come around to that uh, a very similar way of at least projecting how you're going to be betting in the future from looking at your results. This one's really important. Sean's exercise I mean, he's looking at his results through his ADW when he's coming up with this. I would imagine a lot of people are probably similar, but not everybody. You know, you got to look at your own results and see where you're having your success and just figure out where you're getting your money in better or worse than other places. At the beginning of a meet like Saratoga, really good place, really good time to be able to do um, that type of uh, that type of analysis for yourself, I think. And then and here is a a. Here's an idea that we're going to put some data to at some point. I've spoken to Pat Cummings about this, actually. Let me hear your theory on this hypothesis, both of you guys. I'm starting to wonder if in these markets that, you know, we all want to bet when it's a carryover. Yeah, it's a reduced takeout. In theory, that's a better situation. We all want to bet a mandatory uh, payout for, for similar reasons, added money to the pool. I think we, as a, as a horse-playing population, have overrated the value of those opportunities at the expense of getting really, really excited when we've done the work and have a special edge that isn't priced into the market. I, I think, and you know, part of this is like quite literally my fault for, you know, I mean, I market all these things. We're, we're paid to market these things. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't bet them. I don't think you should automatically bet them. And I don't think you should bet them at the expense of betting other days where you have a real pressing reason to bet. This is another way of making my argument that gets the, um, the EV police all up in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, flurry where I say there are things more important than takeout and, and, you know, not many, but game selection is one. And I'm not sure we as horse players have been selecting our games correctly over the course of the last couple of years. Sean, what do you think about that? No, I think you're right. I think, you know, and that's one of the main reasons I've moved most of my handle to Hong Kong is because the, you know, in my opinion, the pools are still pretty inefficient over there. Um, and the liquidity is better. You know, the, the overall liquidity and how much money is bet is, is much better, but just the flow of the liquidity into the pools is a lot smoother. So you have a much better idea of what price you're actually going to get than, than you do in this country. Um, but, you know, I think carryovers and, you know, takeout is extremely important. I want to say that, you know, it's not that it yeah, doesn't matter. I never matter meant at all. to imply anything else. Well, no, and no, I know you did. It's critically important. Yes, it's critically yeah. important. But I, you know, if you're in a pool, I would bet into an eighty percent takeout pool if I was betting against my daughter and fifteen of her friends, <laughs> and I'd do it all day long. <laughs> you know, so. You know, when you're betting against real horse players and computer teams, takeout's very important. But if you're in a situation where you know there's less intelligent money, you know, that can reduce the takeout, in my opinion, even though the takeout 
you know, stays the same technically, you're playing into dumber pools and therefore you can make a little bit more money. So game selection is also very important. Um, it's just, you know, there's a fine line between, you know, figuring out, you know, you've got to really know, you, you've really got to know who your opponents are nowadays and, and how the, how they bet and everyone's biggest opponent right now are CRW teams. And they're not, you know, those guys, they're not boogeymen, but we've, you've got to, in order to be successful moving forward as, as sort of discretionary horse players, like we all are, you've got to know how those teams bet when they bet, which is very late and what that does to the price that you're going to get. And so that we're going to talk more about them. We're definitely going to talk more about them. I do want JK's answer to this basic question before we, we loop into the, the, the modern world ecosystem of, of betting, which of course is a little bit different at a meet like Saratoga too. And we'll talk about that. But I mean, Jonathan, you're somebody who, as far as I can tell, has never met a mandatory payout day or carryover that he didn't like. I think there could be something to my theory that, that maybe you're betting too much those days and, and not enough on a day where you've just got two horses that you love from your watch list. Well, yeah, I mean, look, if, if there's not a horse that I love, okay, say just like in a normal day during the year, right? Like, you know, say we're at Belmont or at Aqueduct or whatever. Like, I'm not playing on Thursday if there's not a horse I love or a carryover. I just typically, it's got to, you know, I have to like love something. There has to be a reason for me to do it. I'm not going to just do it because there's horses running in a circle. At Saratoga, I find myself, you know, it's Wednesday, I'm playing. It's Thursday, I'm playing. It's Friday, I'm playing. And so I, I but yeah, I mean, I, I have my game. I have always been, you know, kind of multi-race driven and I feel like the best opportunities in multi-race, the, to me, for me, the best opportunity for me is the dollar minimum Naira pick six for a handful of reasons. One, to Sean's point, I have a lot of information because I'm watching all the time. I'm always watching Naira. Um, I see, you know, I know the rider colony. I know the, the, all these things. So there, there's, there's partly, there's an edge there. The other thing is the dollar I think makes it a little bit harder for people to be spreading. So you can a lot of times you can hit the pick six at Naira and be like, oh, that paid pretty good. Um, it doesn't happen too often where you hit it and you're like, oh, that didn't pay very good. The other thing is is that you know the CRWs. No, I'm sure there's a workaround that they're doing, but they aren't having the access that they have into other pools in that in that pick six. And just to be clear for for newer players or people that don't know what the hell we're talking about. Basically, the CRWs, the big CRW teams, they've set up deals with a lot of these ADWs because of their their volume that they can they have direct access into wagering into the tote like instantly. So they can make nine thousand wagers in that last flash, and they all go in. Now, as as as, as commercial, you know, as excuse me, not commercial, but um, I'm fine. I'm not retail. retail players like us. We can file upload during some ADWs, but the way that we file upload is three bets per second. So do the math. If you have a 10,000 uh, combination file upload, you got to divide that by 60 divided by three. That's how many minutes it takes. you. So the ADW, the, the CRWs can probably still do that and be very efficient and put lots of big money into the pool, but they're not having that last flash ability to be very efficient. So to answer your, and then and then there's a and then the dollar has an opportunity to carry over as well because it's harder to hit because you can't have as many combinations it gets very expensive. So to answer your question, that's my favorite game at the moment, 
But I agree with you. I have started to get away from mandatory. I am chasing these mandatory payouts at racetracks that I don't have strong opinions and I don't want to bet 16,000 claimers on synthetic. Right. And 20 cent minimums. Yeah. 20 cent minimums too factor into that. I was going to add a question on my sheet. I was going to ask everybody of something they're looking forward to at the, at the Saratoga meet. I was going to go first. I was going to be, it could be anything. It could be a horse. It could be a day. You're looking forward to playing a wager. And the thing I was going to say ties nicely into the CRW conversation. So I'll, I'll give mine first and then we can talk more about potential CRW strategies. I think Sean has already given his answer to what's your strategy for dealing with CR in, in, you know, bats in the CRW world with the way he talks about being so much more surgical. But the thing that I'm looking forward to is opportunities in the wind pool because the CRW players cut off. I believe this hasn't changed, still cut off with something like two minutes to post. So you have a much better idea We'll still see some odds drops, but you have a much better idea of the final price you're going to play. I've always been a win better, not averse to the double win bet. I feel like Saratoga is a really good place to deploy that. So one thing I'm looking forward to at the Saratoga meet and a strategy to deal with the, the CRW world in which we live is to focus a little bit more uh, on the wind pool, this Saratoga meet, even than I do normally. Does an answer to that question leap to your mind, Sean, or do you have another follow-up on strategies for dealing in a CRW world um, as far as something you're looking forward to at this Saratoga meet? I mean, it's, it's not specifically something I'm looking forward to. Um, the, the thing I'm looking forward to the most is just coming up for Travers weekend and, and hanging out with you guys. Although <laughs> I've seen they've built some new monstrosity in our old hangout spot, so that's we have to find somewhere else to to chill, but um, you know, as far as the CRW thing goes, you've just got to, you know, what I'm trying to do is just, I'm trying to really study, and this takes a lot of work because you you've really got to watch the pools. I'm, I'm I'm trying to really study which horses and combinations get hit with those late flashes. And try to figure out types of horses they bet, connections they bet, and then, you know, mainly what you've got to do is just whatever your value number is on a on a on a horse or a combination you're thinking of playing. You need to say to yourself, well, if this is, you know, if my number is X, will I accept X minus? 40% also because some of these, you know, as, as Pat, our friend Pat Cummins on, on Twitter has, has shown some of this money is coming in so late and so much of it is coming in so late. These, these combinations are just getting cut in half. So in order to get the value you want, you've almost got to think of, you know, will I accept half of what I think I'm going to, you know, what I think is good. Will I get, if I get half of that, is that, is that still a good bet? And that's what makes it so tricky because, you know, in theory, so hard. you should bet more, the more value you're getting. Right. And that's just hard to know nowadays. You know, that's, that's a, com- that's a that conversation Pat and I had recently about, you know, sometimes when he talks to track executives and, and they'll say, well, you know, if this horse got cut in half by 50%. The other ones all went up. Well, that's that's fine, but you're still even if you bet a horse whose price went up, 
you're still losing because you should have bet more. You know, if you think you're exactly, you, think you can't you get six to one properly. and you end up getting 10 to one, you, you theoretically should have bet more at 10 to one. Um, right. So you still don't have what you should. Uh, so that's now, what Sean, I want to, I want to bring you back to talk about the specifics of this question, but JK has a hard out in a few minutes and I want him to answer this question and hit us with anything else he wants. Then we'll let him go. And we're going to come back because I want to ask you, and I'll, I'll prep you for the question now. I want to ask you specifically in your research, what, if anything, you've determined about runners and combinations that are likely to get, you know, really, really hammered and, and have. But before we get to that, let's bring in JK to tell us something he's looking forward to and or any further thoughts on uh, mitigating computer edge at the upcoming Saratoga meet. Well, you know, just to Sean's point about the computer edge thing, you know, I, I think that the, the, the one thing that you can do if you are, if you are listening to this as a, as a, as a problem for your ROI and you're like asking Sean or myself or Pete, what, what do I do? The, the answer is be a more efficient wagerer. That's your only chance. Stop spreading as much as, unless you're spreading with efficiency, stop spreading as much. Don't be scared to, to have a losing day because if you're protecting yourself against a losing day, you're playing into the hands of the computers. You just have to try to have some direct hits and, and, you, and you have to do that by being efficient. Um, the one other theme that I just, I, I thought that would be kind of interesting just to just to talk about quickly, because I do think it's interesting. I don't think it's going to matter much from a betting standpoint, but from a fan standpoint, from a sporting standpoint, I think the jockey race is going to be really interesting uh, this year. And, and it, for a couple of reasons, you know, one being, you know, Flavian coming in, Dylan having such a great meet. Dylan won 46 races at Belmont. So those guys aren't taking him off. So he's going to be on 46 good horses this meet. So he's going to take wins away. I don't think Flavian's going to ride a lot of like $16,000 claimers, you know, for some of the New York connections. I don't know if he's going to know all of those people. You know, you got Irad, Jose, Manny now riding for Chad a lot more. Um, I just think it's, I think it's very interesting um, from a, from a. From I got a, a challenge, you know. JK. I have a challenge to the listeners. we got some ridiculously sharp listeners. I'm going to throw out a challenge. Make us a market, you know, Twitter, or through the contact page in the money podcast.com. And I'll share it on Twitter. If you're not a Twitter person, make us a market for the Saratoga uh, jockey standings and feel free to show your work as to why you came up with the numbers. But I, I want to know what price Irad is, what price Flavian is, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think it'd be, be fun thing to see for the first few, uh, for the first few. And, and we got sharp enough people out there that I bet somebody will take a crack at that. I, I got plus last night at, <laughs> last night at a wedding, I got plus 10 and a half with Jose versus irad and the reason i took it is because i feel like i took jose i feel like flavian is going to cannibalize some of irad's turf wins and interesting and i think that that, that Ho, you know because jose's always right there anyways and what was the spread last year how much how many how many ahead i don't was even it? know what it was it was pretty close i thought they were like ding dong until the very well no oh because louis won last year right so yeah but i think irad and jose were ding donging i mean it definitely wasn't 10 Gotcha. I love, no, that's an interesting theory. I love you guys. You are my you guys are my best friends, but uh, I have to go. I have to go do some work stuff. Get get. We know you you have to serve your your pals over there at Fox Sports, JK. So make sure <laughs> yeah, you go to, do that ably. You try to put me on oh, Sean Hannity's show or whatever that, that <laughs> crazy guy. JK, I sort of thought maybe you were going to have your own Sunday morning talk show and discuss the. <laughs> 
political environment we live in. That would have been really interesting. Oh, new new addition to the In the Money feed, JK's political show. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, my God. The, the, I bet you all the big farms will want to sponsor that, don't you think? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I love you guys. I can think of a couple. Pete, you're not coming this weekend? I'm I'm gonna be here, so I'm still in Maine. I actually I should have done this at the intro. I'm on top of a mountain at the the Tin Mountain um, summer camp. Perrin is down the road in in the camp. You can't get internet up here hardly. As as folks who've been watching the content know, I'm barely getting it at the cabin. So I'm rolling the dice and, and working here from. I figure the top of a mountain is as good of a place as any to get some uh, mobile signal. And yeah, circumstances have conspired. I'm not gonna be rolling into town until Sunday, but I will see you then, my friend. Cheers. All right, Sean, let's let's bring you back to to talk about that specific question. Like what have you do you have anything concrete on this in terms of combinations and or things that you've seen? I mean, early speed certainly uh, over the years has looked to be one of the things that the teams emphasize for obvious reasons. What else have you come up with? You know, I wouldn't say that I have anything concrete, um, but, uh, you know, early speed certainly, uh, you know, seems to get bet more just when you sort of think about the the betting purpose of these teams you know they want to bet a lot of combinations at differing amounts they want to cash a lot of tickets because their whole game is just churn they want to churn money yeah. and then they earn rebates and that's typically how they make their profit is through the rebate. So, you know, a lot, I think it's typically pretty, not obvious combinations, but logical combinations that get cut in half. Um, because, you know, they, they want, they're, they're, they're more interested in cash and tickets than making profits off the actual wagers. So, Makes sense. You know, favorite, with, favorite, in other words, just to oversimplify it to help make the point if somebody's not quite getting it. Favorite, favorite, more likely to come in than long shot, long shot. Yeah, I think that's probably true. But, they, you know, they'll be on those other combinations, too. They just won't be on them enough to, to cut the prices, you know, completely in half like they do some of these other ones, too. But they, you know, make no mistake, they are involved in every combination we're betting, um, in every pool at every track. So, but I think the the more logical combinations are the ones that really get hit hard um, and get hit late. But that, you know, that's that makes it difficult because you know that sort of forces us a little further out the you know, risk curve, you got to find, you got to find longer prices. Um, and even then you need to factor in that those combinations are, are going to get, are going to get hit too. Not all Big the fields has to help, right? Yeah, Sean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, big, you know, yeah. Full fields and liquidity are, are what you need to look for, you know, but not all full fields are created equal. You know, they're, a full field of 10 first top starters and two established horses. It's a full field, but there's not a lot of info to go on there. So it's, that's more difficult, but a, you know, a, a nice eight or nine horse field of established stake horses or claimers or whatever. Unfortunately, nowadays eight or nine is pretty full for us. 
Um, but yes, field size, you know, that's another thing I'm trying to do is just, is just that big, bigger, fuller fields. Um, is the logic there that it's, I mean, I think it's just that it's much easier to bet a six horse field efficiently. And I do think there are instances where, like you said, every single combination is being covered by computers in, in many instances, whereas in a big field, decisions have to be made. And especially if you can ever come up with an angle on a horse that they're not using, and I, I mean, I think there are increasingly fewer of them, but if you can find a horse that they've sort of X'd out of their reckoning of a race, that's where you can you know, really attempt to make a move. And you're going to probably get that positive push up in odds as opposed to the, the, the it coming down. Right. Yeah. And I, I had an instance, you know, the best score I've had all summer um, was just a cold exact. I liked that that actually moved in my favor after I bet it, which hasn't happened in a long time. But it, it moved in my favor about 20 percent. Um, and it was like favorite on top of 25 to one shot or something that they just, they gave no hope to, I guess. Right. Um, oh, that's fascinating. And then, Anything and, else you've gleaned from your research that you want to share on this topic before we get to some more general Saratoga chatter? No, I think we've covered most of it. You know, I do, you know, I think the one thing I would push back on what JK said was, you know, if you're going to spread, try to do it efficiently and there's tools out there that allow you to do that. But I even think that is really dangerous nowadays because you're just, there is no chance you're, you can be as efficient as they can. Right. You're now, playing you their have, game now, and it's now, very hard to beat them at their own game. Exactly. Now I should, I should say if you're, you, if you're also using a computer or you've got a good model that you use, then, but I just mean like using your brain to price horses, you're not going to be as efficient as, as what they come up with over the long term. So even that, I would be very careful about the, uh, you know, five by three by five pick three, even though I've played it weighted and very efficiently. That to me, long term is still a losing proposition nowadays. Um, I'd much rather have a two by one by one pick three that I can just pound the shit out of. We talked before about, you know, you, you, you made the point just by talking about the, the fastest horse winning. There's also a lot of, um, and I know you believe in this wholeheartedly, situations that produce winners. Why, when the fastest horse doesn't win, why doesn't it win? Well, usually because there was some sort of setup involved regarding the pace. Is there anything specific to Saratoga, a place where we've seen a lot of, um, you know, non-aggressive rides, shall we say, particularly on the turf, is there any way you try to factor pace handicapping differently at Saratoga than other places? No, I don't think, no, I'm getting, you know, like what I mentioned earlier, just trying to simplify the way I look at, look at races. I've also tried to simplify the way I look at different tracks and, and all of this stuff. I just try to look at every race and every track I look at basically the same, you know, who's going to make the lead, who's going to lay second, who's going to be tucked in the pocket, you know, where, you know, I still just try to map out where the horses are going to be, what their pace abilities are in terms of how fast they can run early, how hard they're going to have to work to get to their spot and how, how well they can finish. 
And so I don't think, you know, to me, pace is just pace. And sure, they, they're not as aggressive, especially on the turf at the Naira tracks as, as they probably should be sometimes, or as they are in some of these other places. But I try not to let that determine how I bet a race or who I'm going to bet anymore. I just, it's really coming down to, you know, who's the most talented at the best price. And that's the horse I want to bet. You know, the best, the best bets I've made in the last year have been on fast horses that were forgotten on the board because of some narrative or circumstance or or whatever you know and you know like that exactive you know that i was talking about earlier the, the horse that was 25 to 1 had no business being 25 to 1 he, his figures weren't that much slower than the favorite and he had a great late pace number and it was a turf race they just you know i don't know why they, they just lost that horse on the board somehow um Sometimes it's there's just some narrative, like you said. Yeah. Oh, he's not supposed to supposedly not doing well. You just some some exactly. bit of chatter, like, or yeah, and very likely it's just that there are stories about other horses and they get lost in the shuffle. That's, you know? that's exactly right. Um, you know, a lot of the Chad's is a monster, and you know, Clement has a great stat in this category, and and you know, Mott has one in the race too that people seem to like. But so then there's a Brendan Walsh horse that you know, yeah, goes, one, goes off you know, at 15 to 1 that should be 6 to 1. This one is a claimer, but he just outworked a stake horse for some odd reason. Or this or that, you know, the, there's all kinds there's of stuff. There's a hundred reasons. Yeah. Um, so, no, I don't think there's anything specific to Saratoga that that should change the way you look at, look at races. Um I want to pay more attention to jockeys, especially early in the meet on the turf. I want to know who's going to give my speed horse a good ride, you know, because yeah. it, th- that grabbing stuff makes me nuts. And you did see, I mean, Saez last year was a good example, I think, of somebody. And I'm not remembering anything specific about this on the turf, to be fair. I'm I'm creating my own narrative here, but we can go back and look at the data and see if it if it um, pa- passes the, the real test. But just theoretically, I mean – the, the idea of having a jockey who's more likely to be aggressive still in a colony where a lot of guys, for whatever reason, and I think politics plays into it and, and wanting to, you know, not necessarily wanting to take on big trainers who they need um, as clients down the line. I guess I'm getting into some amateur conspiracy theory here, speaking of Fox News, but I, I it, it doesn't feel wrong to me having watched racing up there for the last several years, that there's something a little bit odd going on. And I'm not saying it's fixed races. It's not, it's, but there, there, there are things I think sometimes going on. There's so much money in the big races that there are, I think, sometimes things that go on in a jockey's mind that isn't just I'm trying to win this race right now for the people who bet on me. That's just, I mean, that's the way I want it to be. But it's the reality that that's not the way it is. But if you can find somebody who has more of that old school mentality that they're going to ride to win every single time, um, that's worth, that's worth something. Yeah, and I, you know, the, the, those guys are under a lot of pressure, especially the you know the better guys that ride for the bigger outfits to to keep those relationships going and not get fired. And I'm sure some of that stuff does come into the mind, but I don't know if you should factor that into any handicapping because ultimately 
those guys only make money if they win races. So like you've got to start there. Like they, you know, yes, today in the fifth race, Jose or whoever might screw up because he's got something silly in his mind. Like I don't want to piss Chad off and beat him here, but you can't, that's just. And even in my conspiracy theory, I'm not taking it quite that far. It would be more about, it would be more about the way that would affect the pace dynamic. Well, sure. Yeah. I don't think any, nobody's holding horses. No, 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 no. And I I didn't mean to imply that anybody was holding horses, but I, I just mean that in terms of long-term predictability, you have no idea what's going on in those guys' minds. You have no idea if they went out the night before and got hammered at Salivo with JK. If they, <laughs> you, you just don't know. So you just need to know that you know those guys only survive if they win races, and it, and and ultimately that's who comes out on the top. That's why the good guys are the good guys, and the and the guys that aren't as talented don't win as many races. You know they can win races. The good guys can screw up races, certainly, but ultimately. Like they only make money if they perform. So just trying to get into like their mindset and, and use that in, you know, handicapping is sort of a fool's game to me. I get it. I get it. And I think everything you've said through this uh, chat is mean, means you're going to kick this conversation right back in my face. But do you have at this point any pet jocks or, or pet trainers ahead of a meet like Saratoga that you might upgrade a, 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 even just a little bit? Obviously, you've made it very clear, not going to be a prime factor for making a bet. But I mean, is, is there is there anything you can give the people in, in that regard? Anybody you're expecting to overperform? I mean, I'm... <sighs> I don't know if I would expect them to overperform, but there are certain guys that I like to bet on more than others because I think they're more reliable. Um, you know, I love to bet on Joel Rosario. He gets he gets killed a lot for some of the stuff he does, but he's you know to me he understands pace and and trip a lot better than some of these other guys do. Same with John Velasquez. You know, you really. Especially Johnny V. I mean, he's probably the most dependable guy there. Um, Irad and Jose, I think, make more mistakes um, than they should a lot of the time. So I, you know, I, it's not that I won't bet them, but I really want to. I really want to feel like I know what kind of trip they're going to get and what they're going to do with the horse before I bet them. Um, trainers I don't really know I can't say that there's a trainer I'm excited to bet or or anything like that um I try not to get too caught up in like trainer stats or trainer you know short term fluctuations in the in trainer form I just I've seen enough over the years to know who I think you know what I think each one of those guys can do what they're good at and what they're not as good at um, but even if it's, you know, if the guy I know that if there's a horse that I love and I know the trainer isn't very good at what he's getting ready to attempt to do, but the horse is a price, I'm going to bet the horse. And I think it's a mistake not to. Um, so, you know, again, it just comes down, you know, the price of the horse that you like should dictate whether or not you make a bet not anything else not a workout report not this trainer's 0 for 20 this meet 
oh my God, he can't train anymore, or this jockey's an idiot, or this or that or the other. If you love the horse and you think he should be eight to one and he's 16 to one, bet the damn horse. I will say this about the short-term trainer fluctuations. I think you're probably right that the cold trainer thing is noise more than signal most of the time. You will see certain barns absolutely loaded for Saratoga. My advice would be try to get on them. If you are going to use those type of upgrades, try to get on them after one or two horses. And this is this is contradictory. I'm telling people to gravitate towards a small sample. But I think it's right in this case where – when when one or two horses have outrun their odds, you know, ideally not winners where it becomes super duper obvious. I'd rather get on a little bit early than wait until the, the classic example was like Kieran McLaughlin several years ago. You know, he wins with his first six. And then can you imagine how overbet the seventh through twelfth were? <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, that, you, that's exactly right. I, and I don't I don't mean to imply, you know, when I said earlier you know, the ones that that aren't used to winning, if they all of a sudden start doing something that, that demands attention, I would bet the second one. I wouldn't even wait till the third one, you know. if Right. But it's, you know, Chad Brown and Clement and Todd and, you know, those guys, they don't forget how to train. So, like, what was the Asmussen stat leading into Derby weekend? He was what oh for eighty in Kentucky or something like he had totally forgotten yep, how to crazy. train a horse in the state of Kentucky. Just stop, <laughs> you know. It's but it's you know if a guy is one for fifty on the year with two thirds, and on opening weekend at Saratoga he runs third twice at forty to one. I want to bet that that third one that he runs yeah. back because something's going on there because he's not used to being good. You know what I mean? So I think that's smart. I think it's a smart way of looking at it. Um, we've, we've, we've gone an hour. We, we don't have obligation. We didn't even have an obligation to go this far, but we, we can keep going. We can wrap up. Did you have anything else on your list? You want to talk about anything you wanted to ask me ahead of the upcoming meet? I mean, how, how it sounds like you're, you're okay for time. I'm okay for time. Parents in, in, um, Parents in camp for another two hours. I got to get lunch at some point, but you know, I'd love to keep uh, keep chatting with you and, and hearing more about what you've got prepped for this upcoming meet. What you're expecting? Uh, yeah, I say we just keep keep talking and figure out what to talk about. I don't have anything <laughs> I specific like I want to talk about. Other, than, I've got one for you. Yeah, I've got on. one for you. Um, maiden races at Saratoga. You mentioned you implied that you're not a huge fan of of uh, clocker reports. What are the factors you use? for maiden races at Saratoga, or is it just something that you, you tend to stay away from? Nowadays, I tend to stay away from them. Um, I, I don't, you know, clocker reports are helpful. Um, the, the odds board is obviously helpful. You could, you could tell a lot about who's live, who's not based on the odds, particularly if I'd actually rather have that than the clocker report. And and I'm not anti-clocker report, but I think, the best distiller of valuable inside info I feel like I see is, is the, is the toe board, especially in New York. We have such a great morning line maker in David Aragona. When those horses open up shorter than they quote unquote should, I don't think he's made a mistake. I think that there's, there's signal in that, Um, you know, and you want to watch it throughout the betting, but I think that's a really valuable tool in those races underrated. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess the only thing about maiden races, and this sort of goes back to the trainer thing, is, you know, later in the meet when it's not all just first-time starters, we will have, you know, five horses that have run once and five first-time starters. At least once during this meet, you'll get, like, Todd or Chad or whoever will win one of these maiden races and pay an absurdly good price with a first-time starter. (laughs) Don't let that horse beat you in a in, in a pick sequence if you like a ten to one shot that wins the next race. You know, don't if if the horses that have run haven't run all that fast and the race looks like it could be won by a first time starter, don't get cute and say, Well, this marketing horse is four to one and Chad's twelve to one. I'm not gonna use the Chad, I'm gonna use this other one. Don't you know what I mean? Just like like we just talked about, these guys don't forget how to train. And sometimes, you know, sometimes they just, well, not sometimes, most of the time, the trainers don't know what they're sitting on. Um, if they've got two in the race and, and they tell you, you know, you get a tip from a trainer, I love the one horse, the eight horse can't win. The, invariably, the eight horse is going to win that fucking race. Excuse <laughs> my language, sorry. Um just, it's all right. Well, we're gonna we're, we'll leave the explicit content warning on 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 this one, so you can you can curse if you want. Um, that's the only thing. It's contradictory. It is contradictory. It's contradictory in a way to to you're talking about wanting to be tighter in your tickets, but I but I also think it makes sense because you specifically said if you're talking about a pick sequence where you liked other things, you're not talking about it as a reason to get into a spot. No, and yeah, just that's a that's a race where like. Those those races are like little minefield. You just a lot of those maiden races. You just need to get through them if you're playing the pick five or the pick four or whatever. Um, but yes, it, like we first let off with it. All depends on what your opinions are in the rest of the sequence on who you should use in each leg and at what. Maybe we should talk about you should use them. Yeah, that's right too. It's sometimes when we're talking about angles and whatnot, it's not it's not the decision to use or not use. It's the decision to key instead of include or include instead of toss it. It can move a horse from a much broader category. It's not meant to be, you know, Oh, you have to bet all of these or you can't bet any of these. I think that's a very important note um, that I'm glad you, you underlined there. Another thing we could do is talk about some specific horses we're expecting to see at this Saratoga meet. You're obviously at your computer, so you can access mm-hmm. your your data maybe and give me some general comments about a couple of the biggest stars where we're supposedly going to be seeing this uh, this Saratoga. And uh, this might give you a chance to espouse an opinion. I'm pretty sure you still have, you know, you're, you're much more positive from what we've talked about, about a rich strike than most other people. I don't know if his Belmont performance has put you more in the the camp that JK and I are in regarding rich strike than others. But right now, uh, Travers is being listed as his, as his goal. What do you expect from this horse going forward? And give him, let's give him some respect on these airwaves because God knows we've given him plenty of uh, bashing. Well, I don't know how positive I am on his long-term, you know, future. I was more positive on him for the Belmont than most people were. Um, but he sort of ran a stinker in the Belmont. I was, I, I was more positive on him versus the people saying he'll never win again. 
because it just goes back to the thing we first talked about. There are no hard and fast rules on any of this stuff. Of course, this horse could win again. Of course, he could win a graded race again if he gets the right scenario and the right, you know, right pace set up and, you know, whatever. So, you know, to, to come, to go into the Derby and say this horse has no chance in hell to watch him run past the best horses in the Derby in everybody's opinion, like they were tied to a post and then to come out of it and say, well, this horse is never going to win again is just foolish to me. If he's in a spot where his figures fit and the pace may be fast and he's 12 to one in a six or seven horse field in whatever race, he could be worth a bet. Maybe he's not. I don't know. I don't know who else is in the race. But you could I be was, describing the Travers, by the way, I, yeah, funny I, enough. Well, shit, I could be. I don't know. And maybe on Travers Day, when I'm up there sitting with you and JK in the 1863 living the big life, maybe I'll bet Rich Strike. I don't have any idea. <laughs> but, I don't think they'll let us in there on Travers Day, but we'll yeah, see. We'll not. see. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I, you know, he, he, has shown the ability to win big races given really good setups. And he was clearly improving going into the Derby. Now looking at him on my stuff, he clearly regressed again. So that may have been a one-off. Maybe he is never going to win another race again. But if it's Travers weekend and you love a horse in the turf race at 12 to one and he wins and you think the three to one favorite in the last leg is a mortal cinch and Rich Strike is half competitive in the Travers. Don't lose a forty thousand dollar pick five score because he wins at fifteen to one, and you say, "Oh, God, this horse did it again. I should have used him. I didn't really have He's an opinion in one. that race." You know, just the emotion. The, the emotion. He the, the, that whole story. It's like it, it's such a difference when I, you know, look at a race. Um, I rarely, almost never, look at races emotionally because. You know, we've all bet enough to know what a losing proposition that is. But it's it's funny. I think that even though I came around and acknowledged the great story and, you know, was was I, I don't think I think it's not a bad result for racing at all. Having a horse like that win the Derby. It just I found it personally insulting as an analyst. And I think that led to some of my vitriol in discussing his future prospects, because, of course, you're right. I mean, when, when you lay it out, when you lay it out like that, there's no good. There's no intellectual case against it it's funny it's like one of these you know like the triple crown the triple crown debate about moving it you know changing the triple crown versus not changing the triple crown i really do believe that intellectually like purely intellectually i could make you a better argument that 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 it should change but emotionally i have a lot of trouble like committing to the intellectual argument and it's funny because so many of the arguments for it and i don't want to necessarily get into this debate here but i just think it's an interesting example of emotional versus versus rational all the worst arguments in that debate back in may were on the side of keeping it the way it is all the worst arguments were on that side because <laughs> they're so emotional it's so like well you know to I, I wish I could think of a specific one, but if you go back and look at any of it, you, you can't throw a rock without finding somebody just reacting emotionally to that to that particular question. And and I mean, th there's never a good time to bet emotionally when it comes to horse racing. Let's put it that way. No, that's exactly right. And that you know that that's what 
bugs the hell out of me the most about the computer teams is they never have to sit in their office, make mistakes that, you know, it's always the computer doing, you know what I mean? Like they never have to make a terrible mistake that cost them tons of money and walk upstairs and look at your wife and know that you just fucking cost your family a bunch of money. It's all completely emotionless. That's the biggest advantage they have. Are there ways that we as horse players can try to do things with our data, you know, more by rote, even with a model where we can get a little bit more of that detachment, where we can have something that we back test and we know or are confident enough is going to work that, that, you know, would that take, would that take the sting out of losing? Is there, is there a way you could get your play? Obviously not all the way there, but at least some of the way there is, is that a reasonable goal for a human being? I think it's, uh certainly possible i mean anything's probably possible i you know that's not something that i want to do personally um i think it's better to just to learn to deal with the emotional side of things um and learn to overcome it than just trying to eliminate it um but yeah it's yeah it's certainly possible i mean you know i think it's funny. I, I'm really torn on would it be better to play more like them or just the exact opposite of them? I, I'm just really torn between it. I'm leaning towards the exact opposite. Um, I mean, that feels like a, you know, going super old school and just picking horses, a couple of horses. And and just trying to simplify the chore. But as a professional, you know, we can do that as amateurs. You can't, I don't know that you can bet enough doing that as a professional. Though maybe as a professional who's, you know, moving money in Hong Kong now, maybe you could, maybe you could do that. And, and it's just ridiculously surgical. And only when you know you have something that isn't priced into the market and or you're fading a narrative and or when there's just a mistake on in the pricing. I mean, if those, if those were all your plays, you'd, you'd win plenty of money, right? Well, yeah, and that's the thing. You know, everybody has a different goal with this. If you're a professional better, if you're not, you know, I have no illusions of making a billion dollars betting the races like Bill Bentner did or anywhere even close to that. My goal is to provide enough income for my family, get my daughters into college and retire at some point. So like, I know I can sit here and, and not bet much money and still make enough profit to accomplish that goal. So for me personally, it's probably a smarter move to, you know, to, to do the exact opposite of, of the churn method and, and just churn less, but figure out where I can profit more. And that's sort real of what opinions, I've been doing. Yeah. High ROI. Exactly. Yeah. Um, somebody else may have a completely different goal and maybe, you know, and I, you know, I said, I have no interest in, in modeling. I mean, it interests me to some extent, just because it interests me. But in terms of, you know, I enjoy the puzzle of handicapping and I enjoy, 
I'm a bit of a control freak. So I enjoy the writing of my own wagers and, you know, some of these tools that we've alluded to talking with JK about like, you know, betting things efficiently, I use them, but it's still, every time I do it, it still sort of pains me to do that and batch a bet in versus just handwriting a bet and thinking through scenarios and writing it out myself and constructing my own tickets. Um, and that's my, you know, that's part of the reason I play this game. So that's, you know, that's my goal. But if your goal is to be a CRW, then, you know, that's great. Do it. Get the best rebates you can get, make as much money as you can get, you know, but fixed odds will help you a lot. You know, as that, yeah, continues I mean, if they let you get on, sure. Right. That's the, well, that's the, the thing, one but... concern about fixed odds is, you know, getting shut down or having to have seven accounts and dummy accounts and stuff and move money around that, that doesn't interest me all that much either. But, you know, no, I guess for that. me personally, the, Hong yeah. Kong is the best solution because you could find top figure horses that are 16 to one and you can still bet a hell of a lot of money on them to win. And you just, you can simplify things. That's great. Um, but it, you know, back to, <laughs> we've sort of gotten off track on Saratoga, but I mean, you know, the same thing, the same principles apply at Saratoga as they do anywhere. You know, you, if you find, let's, let's, so you finish up that thought just, and then we'll, just we'll wrap say, with you, a Travis check. If you find, you know, a horse that you think is good value, there's, there should be enough liquidity at the Saratoga meets where you can make a substantial bet and, and score. So, and the cutting off at in the wind pool, the cutting off at the two minutes, I think is, I think it's we've seen it how it changes with win odds versus will pays where we know in pools where we know the computers are. We've seen how it can benefit the player. So I right. mean that's one of my things. I'm you know I think that's that's going to be an underrated thing to look forward to at, at this meet. Let's talk about a couple of the horses who are pointed towards the Travers, if you don't mind delving yeah, no, into some of your data. I think probably the, the the if they ran the race, gosh, it's actually I was going to say if they ran the race tomorrow, the favorite would be Jack Christopher. But Epicenter and his fans might have something to say about it. Early voting and his fans may have something to say about it. It's it's going to be an interesting little scrum at the top of the market potentially. But uh, you know, and Jack Christopher, I think we're supposed to see in the Haskell before that, so we'll have a line on that form. What, where do you stand with Jack Christopher just as as a horse on your numbers? Um, gosh, he ran really fast last time. Um, he ran fast in the middle of the race. He ran fast overall and he ran fast late. So he's, you know, your I, kind of horse. He's my kind of horse. Yeah. Um, what was the other, you said, and there'll be distance questions, early voting. you know, there'll be, distance even if he wins yeah. the Haskell, they'll, they'll be saying he can't go a mile and a quarter. So, you know, early voting. And I'm assuming that's the kind of narrative you're looking to fade with Jack Christopher. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any of that, any of those type of narratives, I, I, I want to fade every one of them. Um, and, and just because it, it's just been my experience that that good, fast horses at the top end of the class spectrum, they can do just about anything a lot of the time, you know. Um, that, that their numbers they, say they can do exactly, yeah. Um, you know, those three horses you mentioned, Jack Christopher, early voting epicenter, are all 
pretty similar on my on my figures. Jack Christopher has a slight figure edge overall. But I mean early votings run really fast, early, middle and late at times. Uh, epicenter, same thing. You know, that that's if we can get all three of those horses to line up in the Travers, that'll be a hell of a horse race. And there's others pointed to uh, who I want to ask you about, including Zandon and Charge It. Let me ask you just your opinion as a racing fan. I was pretty critical, as was Jonathan, actually, of the ride aboard Epicenter in the Preakness. I feel like his going to the layoff after does suggest that maybe it was a little more the horse and a little less the jockey for for being as far back as he was early in the race. Just curious where where you stand. Would you would you call that a bad ride? No, and, and we've talked about this privately. I, I don't think that was a bad ride. I think it was pretty bad circumstances. Um, I think there was a split second where he could have been more aggressive early and possibly avoided the second steady. Um, that really cost them in there. But then again, we're talking about split second decisions in the heat of the moment. I just don't think you can fault a guy for, for not doing what he, you know, we all think maybe he should have done. Cause you've also got to think like he's sitting there, he knows he's on the best horse. And even though he broke a step slow in there, you know he, you know he in his mind, he's on a horse that he's won wire to wire with. He's on a horse that he's won, you know, set right behind the pace, tucked in and won impressively. Ran a hell of a race in the Derby from off the pace, so he knows he's on a horse that can do things. And even though he broke a step slow, if he has to wait a second and sit, you know, two lengths off the pace on the outside, that's fine for him. It's just when he got steadied again and now he's seven lengths off the pace, that's what really hurt. But it's hard. You know, how do you anticipate that? You know, you if you're rate sitting him on the back early course, voting, what's that? Oh, I was going to just ask if, if you rate him in early voting pretty equally heading forward. Yeah, I do. They're, they're, you know, they're, they've both, you know, their, their, their figure profiles are very, very similar. They've both run, fast early and won, but didn't finish great. They both rated close to the pace and won and finished really well. Neither one of them has run fast all the way through a race, but not many horses do that. So, you know, they're almost identical to me. Any thoughts on, uh, on Zandon? Um, or charge it before we, uh, uh, we wrap things up here. Uh, you know, I think you know just off of figures, Zandon would be like a step below these other ones, but he also, you know, has a longer. You know, he'll have a little more seasoning coming in, and he's shown the talent to be just as good as these other ones. Um, but I would say he's probably well. I'll tell you, he's four to five links slower than um, Jack Christopher at the moment. 
he's actually also listed as possible for this loaded-looking Haskell stakes that we're going to have plenty of coverage on. But yeah, lots of interesting stuff going on uh, going on down there. I'm going to look and see if I can find some Jim Dandy probables. Um, did, did Charge it step up enough for you last time to be a contender amidst all these um, serious runners? Um, no. He, too slow? he is No, he ran very fast, but he didn't finish. He's He's, you know, running high 80 late pace figures, whereas these other ones are running high 90s and even triple digit late pace figures. Um, so he's he would be the weak link to me. Like if if there was a pace scenario, which there will be in the trade, if all these horses go, um, I'm not sure he can stick around. But then again, I did find the dandy. The dandy probables, Epicenter, Ethereal Road, White Abario, and Zandon. So lots more uh, data points to come. And then, of course, the Haskell, as I mentioned, we're going to see a bunch of these three-year-olds. So it's a little crazy to be taking this early look at the Travers. But, hey, it's fun, and I always love hearing your opinion on these horses. So. Yeah, it is fun. That would be – man, that would be a loaded race if we could get all these to, to go. I mean, look at this – listen to this uh, this Haskell – where we've got uh, Cyber Viking, White Abario, Zandon, Pinehurst, Benavego, Howling Time, Be Better, Early Voting, Homebrew, Taiba, Jack Christopher, and Cyberknife all listed as um, some grade of possible or probable. We'll see. We'll have PPs for that one before too long. It'll be interesting to see who uh, who turns up and, and how they do. I'm looking forward to uh, a rare – I'm missing the first two Saturdays of the Saratoga meet since like 19 – well – excluding 2020 and even then i was in town uh but but since like the mid 90s it's kind of crazy but I'm, I'm pumped to be getting down to the haskell yeah that'll be fun that'll be really fun should be good times any closing thoughts sean before we get out of here uh no i guess not i guess we've covered covered just about everything i wanted to cover good we covered some good ground really appreciate your thoughts i think you know whether you realize it or not we're living in this computer betting world and hey, you, people are in different categories and some people want to go out there and, and you know, they're just, the, it's like a ball game. You put aside a hundred bucks and that's your, your money for the day and you're betting that and whether you win, whether you lose, you know, you, you never, you never leave the Met game with uh, sports betting aside. You never leave the Met game with, with more money than, than you came in with it. And that's okay. But even to that level of player, I would say, that just being aware of the environment you're betting in, it's just going to increase the fun that you have and increase the chances that you win. And you, you always want to, you know, even the most casual player would rather win than lose, obviously. So I think it's smart stuff to think about. And, you know, hopefully we've given people a few tidbits to, to latch on to as we get ready for this uh, expanded Saratoga meet that kicks off on Thursday and, and, and runs through Labor Day. We said we will get a chance to, to see you up there. Anything other than just hanging out with the crew, anything in particular you're looking forward to do while you're up there? Uh, no, nothing in particular. I just, I, I love to hang out with, you know, horse player friends and, and go eat good food, go to the races. So I, uh, that's, that's, I always like to stop back and see Paul and Duke. If uh, Duke will probably be out of town by then, but see the Matisse crew back there. I always like to get a Shake Shack 
we can get that in. We'll go to all the fun places and, and, and get a chance to hang. Surely there'll be a Salivo meal in the offing. And I, I think I'm going to have to press you into service. I, I've got, I think I might have a Travers Day live show this year at the track. Might press you into service for that. And or, of course, we're going to have shows at the Brentwood every Sunday, kicking off with me and Spencer Lugenbuehl for uh, for, for this Sunday. So yeah. we encourage people to come by, check that out. You can watch the live stream on our YouTube channel. And we'll post it as a pod. Um, we'll post it as a pod as well. I know you had thought about getting a family trip going. You just you couldn't couldn't pull it together this year. Well, no, I was going to bring you know, that sort of morphed into just me bringing my eight year old up. Um, but it just, you know, with flights the way they are and it just, we didn't really have a, a great place to stay. It just seemed like it was just going to be too much. So we, we punted on that. We're going to do another daddy daughter trip uh, to Columbus, Ohio and hang out there for a weekend. And then I'm just going to do a solo, solo a spot trip sensible. later in the meet. Hey, next time, you know, little house on the east side, we've got the guest house. It's yours whenever you want it in uh, 2023 or beyond if you want to revisit that. And I'm glad you mentioned Paul because I meant to bring him up earlier. This was really Paul's idea to do a show like this. And unfortunately, his schedule didn't mesh with ours to be able to do this. But I'm certain we'll be seeing Paul uh, as part of some in-the-money media coverage during the meet. I'll, I'll talk to him once I get up there and see what will really work with his schedule. He you know, he does so much and has been such a big supporter. I never want to push uh, push too hard um, on him to do things. But I, I'm sure we'll get him to do to do something. Saratoga, uh, Travers Day pro player show maybe? Would yeah, you be up I, for that? I was, I was just going to say, maybe we could just do the live, do a live version. Oh, that's a terrific idea, actually. Jeez, let's let's think about how we can pull that together. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll, you'll leave me with that thought. But, Sean, just want to thank you so much for, for your time today and look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, buddy. Thank you. Always enjoy it. And I'll throw in the most important thank you of all to the sponsors of this show, our friends over at Mill Ridge Farm, where Oscar Performance stands. His baby's off to a great start. But also just want to personally shout out and thank Heedley Bell, Price Bell, uh, good friends, and folks who've been big supporters of us over here at the In the Money Media Network and really believe in the connection between the horse racing industry and horse players. For more about them, check out millridge.com. We'll also thank JK, of course. Great having him on. Going to be plenty of him this summer, it sounds like. He's uh, he's busy. He's a busy man, but he's game to make time out for, uh, for, for me. And, of course, much more importantly, for all of you, the listeners out there, who are the next ones, I'll thank for making these shows so much fun to do. Our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing, going to have dinner with Marshall on Sunday. Sounds like Clay Sanders is going to be around. I'm sure a lot of the other partners, too. Looking forward to getting to hang out with Team 10 Strike Plenty this summer. TRF, we've got a bunch of events planned. I think we've got the calendar. Actually, the best place to check the calendar is still their site which is just trfinc.org, um, and go to the events tab and check out any Saratoga event I'm likely to be involved in. Also, you can donate if you just put a slash players on the end there, trfinc.org slash players. Really uh, looking forward to people um, being able to contribute to the fantastic work that they do and also some other premium item stuff we have this summer. I've got clubhouse seats every day, and when I can't use them, I'm happy to, to sell them to people. Um, well, I say sell, not really sell, give a donation to TRF and I'll just give them to you. I just want to do what I can to do my part personally to raise money for this organization as well, because I really believe in it. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your Saratoga photos. Mm-hmm.